Hello, Defenders. Welcome to another episode of Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. Mr. Hello, Decker, Texans. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. You you were a little under the weather last week. I was. I had a little bit of fever and still have a cough. The doctor said that's going to stick around for a few weeks. So, so we may hear you. We may, and I sound, I, I sound a li- I sound a little froggy this this afternoon, and, and I apologize for that. Hopefully, we'll we'll be able to stick through it. Yeah, I think we will. Um, you know, the we keep these episodes short. For and for reason. those listening, I'm not yeah. contagious, so you're you're free to keep listening. Everybody should be fine. Um, that that would be super weird. Hey, if you do catch a cold from listening to this podcast, just go ahead and send us a note. Go to texascrimdefense.com. <laughs> see see if see if we really care. Hey. Um, and that doesn't mean, hey, we listened and it made me sick. That's a completely different question. That is, yeah. There's yeah. my dad joke of the day. Boom. Boom. Okay. So let's move on. Um, uh, you know, today, Andrew, we're actually going to be... Uh, I, I like our episodes. They're they're lighthearted. I think they're informative, uh, at least for me. I hope our listeners get a lot out of it. And today, we're really just going to... Um, we have a really serious episode today, don't we? Yeah, we do. We're ta- we're taking a, a step towards a much heavier topic. Pro- well, uh, honestly, the the second highest penalty range in the state of Texas falls into what we're going to talk about today. Only yeah. capital murder really has a higher c- penalty range, right? And and, and that's um, crimes against children, sexual crimes against children, um, a heinous offense. Um, you know, stuff uh, cases that unfortunately Andrew and myself handle regularly and we unfortunately have a lot of trial experience with these cases so this this episode may be a little sensitive to you maybe you know something you you just don't want to hear just know we're not going to get into any like gory details or war stories but there is one procedure in these cases that we want to highlight and that's section 38 Point thirty-seven of the Code of Criminal Procedure. Right. So we're mostly going to be talking about actually how this works, how how the how the procedure works, some of the law that applies, some of the case law that applies, how information in in these cases uh, can be brought up that would not normally be allowed in any other kind of case. So we're not here again. We're not going to talk about gory details. We're not going to get into case details. Uh, per se, because we're not here to to gross anybody out. I mean, you right. know, we're, we're really just wanting to get, hey, this is a really interesting code section that I think is something that everybody should be thinking about. Right. And literally, when Andrew and I started talking about doing this episode, I said in December, I went uh, to a uh, one of our Texas Criminal Defense Lawyer Association meetings, a uh, two day seminar in Dallas on sex crimes, and so much of it was on children, um, uh, crimes against children, uh, how, to, how, to, how to test those, how to actually try those, what things to look for. And I got a book that is two and a half inches thick and two full days of seminars, and I, I was exhausted from it. But it was so much yeah. good information. That's how hard we work and prepare for these cases and when we end up going to trial, uh, and we'll talk about why and why we don't go to trial in a minute, it it is it, it is incredibly difficult. It's it, and so so know that we understand that this is a tough subject, but we think it's important, and we hopefully 
uh, we'll learn something in the process, and hopefully you get to learn something along with us. Yeah, you know, and this 3837 is an evidentiary um, section uh, that, that says, hey, uh, Mr. or Mrs. Prosecutor, you can admit extraneous offenses, um, evidence of character and conformity, stuff that would normally be banned or limited to only uh, the punishment phase of trial, but you can go ahead and admit this specific type of information and evidence in the guilt innocence phase of trial. So, so we're, when we get into this, we're really just talking about those cases that you are um, you are prepping for trial. So, right, Andrew, you and I have tried a couple of these cases together. We have. Um, I've tried a few. I've tried a few not with you. Yeah, we, we actually do. Yeah. We do actually practice with other people occasionally. Yeah. And, uh, and right, and and I've tried a couple of these also um, with with other um, second chairs and as second chair on a couple of other cases. Um, and so we have some experience in trying these cases. Unfortunately, they these sex assault of a child cases or you know uh, related type crimes go to trial quite often so why do these cases why are these cases tried so often or why not right so 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 first of all uh andrew and i are not bragging about the fact that we do these cases um some of our brothers and sisters in the defense bar just will not take a case like this yeah Uh, they won't sit second chair on it um and and i respect that in a sense that that they just feel uncomfortable even defending someone accused of a crime of a sexual nature against a child. Yeah. Um, and so, so by, by saying we will, we get phone calls because somebody else said, I won't. And you might call one of these guys. Yeah. You know, I, and that's, what's great about running our own business. We can decide which cases we want to take. Um, but most of these cases for me, at least have been court appointments Right. I mean, the, the, the fee on these cases is quite high. And a lot of these individuals charged, well, with any crime um, are indigent. And the court calls us because they know we have that experience um, to try these cases. Right. Um, I, I would say probably the first barrier to uh, uh, well, well, really, if somebody's charged with these cases, it's either going to be a really quick plea, in my experience, or a protracted trial. And if it's going to plea out, it means we've made a really good deal. They've reduced the charge or they've waived an enhancement or something along those lines. And it's something that an offer that, you know, the the client, the defendant just can't pass up. Right. And and so I've literally been asked uh, out of out of a far and distant land, but in the state of Texas, a case that was originally offered, and and it, it, and apparently the DA may have gone to the press saying we're seeking forty five years from this defendant, pled out to fifteen on an aggravated sexual assault of a child, and I had some people who knew me and knew what I did ask, how does that happen? And I said, well, a couple of reasons. One, this is an emotionally taxing trial. Everyone oh, yeah. involved at the end of the day, is emotionally worn out. The jurors, the prosecutors, the defense attorney, the defendant. Imagine sitting there, uh, especially if you're saying you didn't do it, having to sit there and and hear this testimony. And if they have done it, 
they're sitting there, you know, sitting it maybe, yeah, right, right, regretting everything that they that they that they did. Uh, but at the end, you're just so emotionally taxed. It's so costly to the taxpayer. It's so costly uh, to to everyone involved that sometimes that that deal of not 45 but 15 years, which is still a long time. Imagine being in the Texas criminal justice system for 15 years and then being a sex offender for the rest of your life is enough for the state to feel like they've got the pound of flesh and they're going to get to keep their eye on this man. And 95% of the times it's a man. Sure. I'm not trying yeah. to pick on men. Right. Um, uh, that they get that pound of flesh. They get to keep their eye on them and they go, done why they get to save a lot of money and save a lot of emotional yeah. energy that they don't want to spend if they don't have to just like we don't and 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 you know I, I think you mentioned this too but just to reiterate like prosecutors a lot of time are willing to cut a deal because they don't want to put their complaining witness their you know named uh, quote-unquote victim um you know on the stand and put them through this um, and that's a, that's a huge consideration. You don't want to cause any more trauma than what may have already been, taken place. Um, and you said, Andrew, that somebody, you know, imagine spending 15 years in, in a prison and then being a sex offender for the rest of your life. What do you mean by that? Well, on a case like this, you automatically become a registrable sex offender in the state of Texas yeah. and, and presumptively around the nation. So you have to, upon your release, Within what is it, seven days of, of, of receiving a new address, you have to notify the local police authority uh, that hi, my name is, and I'm a registrable offender under the code, uh, and and you have to let them know where you live, where you work. Um, uh, they put your name in the paper. Yeah, you're then on a searchable database online. Uh, I literally had someone the other day come in my office and say there are three sex offenders that live in my neighborhood. And I said. You, well, that just means you've used your 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 data search. Um, yeah. Uh, thankful. Well, so so for the rest of your life, that becomes a condition. You then, uh, if you move, you have seven days to let officers know, let law enforcement know you've moved, you've changed your address, you've changed your job, any number of things. And so for the rest of your life, they're watching, and often that means they also get to watch your email addresses. They social get to media, your social media. Um, so if yeah. you get a Facebook account, they get to not only know your name on Facebook, but they often also get your password. Yeah. So they can look at any messaging you're doing, and if they find that you violated that, you have a, then they can they can say you didn't register on time or you violated your sex offender registration, and that's an offense, and they can put you in jail for that. Yeah. The Woo. so yeah, that's a Warm lot. Me out just just talking about. That's a lot. And there is a mechanism to be removed from the sex offender registration. That's not what this episode's about. That's a whole nother can of worms, very complicated procedure. And, and um, Which I've never tried to do, but I know, I, some, I have I know some attorneys that actually do it. And we, we uh, may need, that may need to be a, a different episode, and we can have somebody in here to, that is knowledgeable on that to, uh, to get that done. So, so we've talked about why not to go to trial. Yeah. Great deals offered or a deal at all. Because right. remember, all deal, yeah. right. Uh, often we're dealing with with punishment ranges of five to ninety nine or life, or twenty five to ninety nine or life, or maybe even automatic life. So uh, Andrew, uh, they come in and they go, "Hey, your guy's an auto lifer," which means they already have a conviction of uh, sexual assault against a child. They're being brought up against uh, on a second one. Yeah, and they say, uh, "Will he take twenty years?" Hmm. 
20 years versus, so for me, 35 or 40, but but 20 years, there, there's an end date. I could get out. Yeah, right. Well, and uh, yes, and that is, uh, I've actually had a, a trial um, where that came up. And my guy just could not wrap his mind around pleading guilty to it. But my um, my analysis of the case, which I was very candid with him about, said, hey, this is a very difficult case for us to prevail on. I don't think we're going to win. And it's an automatic life, right? There's, I mean, he talks about, in his interview, he talked about his prior conviction uh, with a detective. That's coming in in guilt innocence, right? I mean... So, um, twenty years for parole consideration. You're you're eligible in most cases at fifty uh, percent of the way through. However, in reality, you're probably going to see you know spend ninety percent of your sentence in. But on a case like this, on a case like this. But if it's auto life, you are not even going to be considered for parole until you have served at least thirty years. Thirty, what we call thirty hard, hard thirty. Yes. So that... Which is unlike a hard eight, which is either a gambling term or a great barbecue. Sorry, continue. Yeah, I didn't know either of those. Um, we need to eat more together, I think. Okay. Mm. So, so I mean, just, just doing the math, that's almost a no-brainer to me. Right. But so, so, again, why would you go to trial on this? And it's really, I think it comes down to one or two, uh, one of two reasons. One, the, well, the person says, I didn't do this. Sure. Yes, of course. Actual innocence, right? I can't force somebody to plead guilty. Right. And even if they said, I did it, even if they said to us in confidence, uh, you know, hey, Mr. Decker, Mr. Harris, I I did this, but I, 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 I don't think they can prove it. Yeah. We cannot make them take a plea. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, uh, we then couldn't have them really take the stand. No. <laughs> nope. Uh, that'd be a different question. I, on a case like this, I mean, unless you just had, like, the, the right fact pattern, I, I just don't, I don't know if I've ever put a client on the stand on a case like this. Now, sexual assault with adults, I have. And right. That's, I think a, that's, very, that's a very different fact yes. pattern. Very right. different. Different in so many ways. Different in so many ways. Um, So, so either they say, "Hey, I, I I didn't do it," or um, for some other reason, they just can't take a plea, and we cannot make them take a plea. That is one of the few things that that a client, a defendant, actually has to make a decision for themselves if they wish to enter a plea of guilty or not guilty. And guilty would be taking a plea. Yeah. So, so so let's let's assume then if you have one of these cases, um, you've talked with your client, you are going to trial. This is something you're not going to take a plea on. You're going to trial. You are teeing it up for trial. Um, and the state serves on you notice that, hey, we've got some uh, an extraneous offense. We've got some information that your client may have committed. Something similar, and they've the served they've served that on you at least thirty days before trial, right? Correct, because that's that's required by our lovely code, uh, which uh, the thirty eight thirty seven of the Code of Criminal Procedure. Yep, and that's in section three down at the bottom. So this is a four section 
code uh, code section. Section one says, hey, look, uh, guys, if y'all are in custody um, or if you're facing trial or charges on a sexual offense against a child under 17, assault of offense, prohibited sexual conduct, or um, sexual performance by a child, something along those lines, um, you can if there's evidence of a crime of something along the same lines or in that list um that that there's some evidence that you've committed this before maybe on a different child or a similar child or the same child or whatever the state can use evidence of that what we call extraneous offense against you in trial and get this um for uh uh, for evident for for uh, for any bearing the evidence has on relevant matters, including the character of the defendant and acts performed in com- conformity with the character of the defendant. So, Andrew, that that's those are big words. Those are big words. Yeah. So, what is that? I mean, we hear those we hear those all the time, right? I mean, normally that's not allowed. Right, so normally a conformity of character of the, of the defendant. The best way I know how to ex- describe this is um, if I drive home every day on the same road, and I know it's a 30-mile-per-hour road because it's a, it, it's a residential street, and I know that there are people walking on it on a regular basis. So I do about 25 to 28, just a little safer, because I, I know people walking on that road. But today I go home and I do 40, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And an officer sees me, pulls me over. I can't go to court and say, but off, you know, but but judge, for the last 400 days, I've done 25 to 30 on that road because I know there are kids there. And, and, and so there's no way I did 40 today. Right. Right. That's character evidence. That's conformity evidence. It's not allowed in guilt innocence. Also, generally, I can't, th- the judge can't then do the whole, well, Mr. Decker, you've gotten a ticket on the first day of the month every month for the last four months for doing 40 in this speed zone. There was no officer to, there today, but it's the first of the month, so we're sending you a ticket anyway because it's the first of the month and you always do 40 on the first of each yeah. month. Yeah. You can't, you, can't, you can't say I'm a speeder on the first of the month just because I did it four months in a row and without any evidence say, well, I did it today. Right. But if I, but but, it's kind of what they're doing. Yes, yes, it absolutely I think is uh, what the legislature had in mind when they when they wrote up this code section. And and to be honest, look, I'm all about uh, community safety and protecting children. I understand that. I do have a beef with this code section. Only that if you extrapolate it out to any other crime, it is. I think completely unconstitutional. And I think this is I think this code section is unconstitutional, but we'll get to that. But but I think like look, you know, for a DWI, right? On a DWI third in guilt innocence, they're talking about your prior DWIs because that's what we call jurisdictional. For a DWI to be presented in a district court, there has to be some reason other than it a being you were driving while intoxicated. Has to be some other reason why a district judge is hearing that evidence. So in the DWI third, it's because you have two prior convictions. 
right? Or like a theft with two priors. That's Correct. state jail felony. You have two prior convictions. It's a it's now a state jail felony. But those priors have been previously adjudicated, meaning you either pled guilty or were found guilty by a judge or a jury. For this evidence, this code section says it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is if it can if a judge has heard it in a in a hearing outside the presence of a jury and if that judge makes a determination that the evidence that's going to be admitted at trial will be adequate to support a finding by the jury that the defendant committed the separate offense beyond a reasonable doubt beyond a reasonable doubt I, I'm sorry I, I left that out right. so um, the defendant committed the separate offense beyond a reasonable doubt so that would be like, hey, in a trial on a driving while intoxicated, the state brings your best friend, sorority sister, fraternity brother from college to say, oh, man, this guy never missed a happy hour. He loves to drink. And, dude, I don't know how we didn't get stopped before because there were a few times driving home he was loaded. Oh, yeah, big time drunk. You know, right. never, that- or never arrested, never officially charged charged or accused and suddenly your buddy from high school or college that yeah you you were done with you probably committed you 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 probably were dwi we've talked about that in the past can say can say dude i've ridden with him when i know he was drunk so uh and it happened uh, you know after following uh my bachelor party we went to this bar. He ended up driving home. I, there was no doubt in my mind he was drunk because I watched him drink a lot that night. Yeah. I don't know how we got home, but thank God we did. But you're not charged with that incident. You're charged with a separate incident. And so they're asking and presenting that evidence. They would be asking a jury to find you guilty on what you're charged with based on evidence. In part. From, in from, part. From, that from this no- guy's bachelor party 15 years ago. Yeah, that had nothing to do with what or he's even, currently on or trial Or even with. last week. I, I mean... It doesn't have to be real old. No. No, no, but no. It but doesn't, it's just extraneous. It's, it's not the case in chief, and suddenly, which is the, the case which you're on trial for, and suddenly we're having to talk about and right. fend off uh, that, that other offense that... For sure. And, well, it, and, it, and I think really it's... When you extrapolate this code section from not just sexual assault against children, heinous offense, I want everybody who's done that to be in prison for a very, very long time, but it's saying, hey, we need to, uh, we, we can do this, uh, we can, you can find, it's okay to find people guilty of this crime by not sticking to the facts of that crime, by bringing in external facts so and and it's some yeah that's exactly right so 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 procedurally right you get notice from the state that notice has to be sent to you with before 30 days um 30 days before trial no later than the 30th day before trial according to section three a hearing outside the presence of the jury and that hearing is uh really the purpose of it is found in section 2-a and that says that the trial judge in a hearing outside the presence of a jury, um, must what review the evidence that the state has that they're going to present, right? Correct. So, um, and, and then that judge must determine that the evidence 
likely to be admitted at trial, not that is going to be admitted at trial, but likely to be admitted at trial, will be adequate to support a finding by the jury that the defendant committed the separate offense beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, if there's a judgment on that extraneous offense, the judge doesn't have to rule on that because the, somebody has already found that person uh, guilty beyond, beyond a reasonable, reasonable doubt. doubt. Yeah. And now they're just bringing the facts forward to show conformity, uh, pattern, lack of mistake, lack of mistake about identity, uh, motive. Um, but again, normally those don't get to come in until we, what we call, open the door. We ask a right. question and go, are you sure that it was this person? And and the, and and the answer is yeah. And and then they go, how do we know? Well, we we Andrew and I talked previously. If you rob a bank, uh, two days in a row, and one day both days you wear a black ski mask and orange tennis shoes, but one day you accidentally take off your mask as you run out, and the camera sees you, and you go, hey, that's Joe. We know Joe, yeah. right? So then the on the second one. They can bring in the first one because, if especially if I ask, how do you know this is Joe? And they're like, well, because he's wearing the same outfit, and yesterday he pulled his mask off too early, and we caught him on camera, right? That's, yep. it, 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 but we've opened so identification, the door, right? 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 Yeah. In this case, we don't have to open the door. We don't have to do anything. They get to go ahead and bring it out. And and you mentioned the thirty days before trial. It's interesting reading through some of the stuff that that you've prepped up beforehand uh in the in the case law for uh, alvarez v state um from 2016 uh it says that that's one of the safeguards the state has there's some safeguards for our defendant (laughs) one of them is that they give the defendant 30 days notice and second that the trial court has to hear it outside the presence of a jury you're like wow these are safeguards that that once once we go through well here's your 30-day notice and the judge says ah, yeah, you probably committed this other one, and we're going to let the jury hear about it, those safeguards suddenly just become just boulders running down a mountain at us. Yeah, hardly yeah. a safeguard. But I agree. No, yeah, no offense not, to the Court of Appeals. Not, not really a safeguard um, at all, in my, in my opinion, but, but I, you know, I have not the, argued the, one of these to the appellate court. Their so. words, not ours. Right. So, um, so we have the hearing, and then the jury can use, if the jury hears that, um, it may, that evidence may be admitted in trial, um, of one of these offenses for any bearing the evidence has on relevant matters, including what I said earlier, character of the defendant or acts performed in conformity with the character. So um, really, you know, that evidence can be used for any uh, uh, any relevant matter. Uh, I just think it's so broad um, and, just, and just, I don't know, just something screams unfair about this. Um, and it's still, you know, in trial, after the judge has heard this and the state's about to put this evidence on, you know, defense attorneys still object. It is still prejudicial, uh, more prejudicial than probative. Um, you know, really raise your objections uh, because if you don't raise it, Andrew, you, you've waived it. You waive it, right? So the judge will probably still let it in, but um, it, it still must go through that balancing, um, that balancing uh, effort right there by the judge. Uh, determine, to determine if it is um, preju- uh, more probative than prejudicial. Right. Again, l- l- again, going through through some of the case law notes, uh, they they recognize that part of the reason the prosecutors can bring in these extra resources, these extraneous 
uh, in Buxton v. State, uh, it says in part that it's because children are often targets for crimes like this. And they say in part because they tend to make poor witnesses. I, I, I don't know anyone that I've represented that, that has committed a crime like this or committed any crime. I'll take that back. Very, very few people commit a crime because they think that their victim is going to be a poor witness. Poor witness, yeah. They're not thinking that far ahead. No, Absolutely no. Not. And, and especially uh, those who are committing a crime against a child are not thinking, how's this going to play out in front of a jury? Because if right. they did, they never would walk in the door. They would, no, they, they absolutely would, not. They, they, they never, ever, ever think about this could become publicly known. Right. Yeah. No. No, they don't. Yeah. I've never talked with any person charged with this that that thought that far ahead. No. Um, uh, okay. So we're, we're talking some case law here. Surely there's some positive case law for the defense. Crickets? What's the yeah, crickets sound? I, I have nothing. Yeah. No. No. Um, you know, most of these challenges have been on based on like due process of law. Hey, defense attorneys, the court is not going to sustain or overturn this based off of due process. They have held it up time and time again saying, nope, no due process violation here. So stop using it. It's not going to work. Well, the problem is I don't have a better option. Okay. Uh, so so if it, I don't, I'm going to throw out due process of law. Well, and, and to be clear, I don't either. I don't have, I don't do a lot of appeals. I think that's probably pretty evident from our podcast, but I don't know what else I can do. And so often in these trials, I am like, I'm throwing everything out. I'm throwing all sorts of objections out there in the hopes that the appellate attorney can use something to make it stick. Right. Right. Correct. Um, but I really, I really don't have anything. And case law has has upheld this code section time and time again. And you know what, Andrew? Like I, I kind of badmouth the court of appeals. They're smarter attorneys. I mean, like book smarter than I am. Um, they may not have like, I mean, in their in their history, they may have a lot of trial experience and whatnot. But, um, but you know, just generally speaking, I think they're probably smarter individuals than me. So that's fine. not hard to imagine. Whatever. Okay. Um, but, but not a lot of really good case law on us. So defenders, you are going to get these cases. Keep fighting, keep fighting. You got to do that for your client. Okay. Um, so let's kind of, uh, wrap up. I know we wanted to talk about some war stories. I will just say this one thing, right? When we're talking about what evidence can be admitted, it doesn't matter if it was previously adjudicated. In fact, I once was in a hearing where the evidence the state wanted to put out there was um, uh, from a case that the detective declined to forward to the DA's office for prosecution because he could, he didn't, uh, he may not have believed the witnesses or the the alleged victim, um, but for whatever reason, this case was not charged. It was closed out. It wasn't even referred for prosecution. I mean, that's that tells you how weak the case is. And this law says it don't matter. The trial judge makes the determination if a jury is likely to blah, blah, blah. It does not matter if it's adjudicated or if it's a weak case or if it's a strong case or whatever. If that extraneous exists, let me tell you, 
that's coming in. You're going to have to fight it. So I, I don't know, Andrew, what's your, what's your experience? So, yeah, so the extraneouses do come in often. Uh, and, and here's part of the difficult part in trying these. Even if it's a first offense, often there's more than one injured party uh, found because yeah. so so you automatically get the second injured party coming in going uh it happened to me you know in, in similar situations um or they bring in that prior that that extraneous and and truly the the it's not exactly the same but it's enough the same that even as the defense attorney you're just going dude it sounds a lot the same yeah and 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 they become hard. They become hard because you had maybe a a, a sliver of hope going in that, that maybe your guy is is not guilty. Right. And yeah. you see that door closing, and you still have to continue to fight. You still have to continue to make objections. You still have to argue the case. Uh, I think I've told you one time I finished arguing, um, and by the time the state got done, all I wanted to do was take a shower. Yeah. Um, and, and and I and I think I and my co-counsel at that point put on a good fight. Yeah. I think we did a pretty good job. I think and, and the appellant attorney actually came to me and said, "Y'all y'all played a very good job. You did everything you needed to do. That's you objected at the right times. Yeah. Um. So basically, they said there was nothing appealable. But at the same time, you just kind of go, I feel bad because one, we lost, and two. It, it, also, you, you you hear you know two two young women, uh, barely older than girls, um, talk about how how their lives have been ruined. Yeah, and so it, it is hard, and it's again it's part of the reason why some people don't take these cases. Um, it's part of the reason why uh, we do work hard on them. Uh, we do try to take pleas when they're when we can, um, uh, but at the same time. Again, I go back to I love my job. Yeah, I love doing this. Sure. So, so even as you hear a little bit of hear sadness in my voice, well, one, I'm getting over being sick, but two, uh, it, it's never fun to be part of something where so, where there really is probably a victim, and someone has just lost their freedom, technically uh, under the law for the rest of their life or yeah. at least thirty years. Right. And and in that instance too, even when you know, let's say we're representing somebody who actually has done some of these heinous things. Um, nobody wins, right? Like none, the alleged victim, the, the victim is not going to feel good about this. I mean, that a person who has committed this crime absolutely needs to be punished, but these are just so draining. And at the end of the day, I can promise you that the prosecutors are walking out, not with a smile on their face, but probably, you know, just a little bit, feeling a little bit defeated uh, as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, they, they may be proud of the job they did, but the, yeah. and they may be glad they got, they are always glad they got a conviction, right? I'm oh, not going to take that away from them. But even when, yeah, whatever. But at yes. the end of the day, they know that, that, that for, for these young persons, there's going to be lots of counseling and yeah. need and They're tough, tough cases. et cetera. Yeah. And the the prosecutors end up going home, taking off their shoes, and going. I just don't want to look at anyone for the next forty eight hours, just oh, like man. we do. So. I, yeah, and I and I yeah one one trial for the uh, one of these cases in trial, I think is probably like 
three possession cases being tried. I mean, it's just, or, or maybe even more. I mean, it, they are. They're just very draining. They take a lot of energy. Um, so enough of of that. So that is Article thirty eight point thirty seven. We could we just call it thirty eight thirty seven of the Code of Criminal Procedure. Procedurally speaking, I hope you've gotten something out of this. Um, I personally think it's a dangerous code section. If you're looking at it through the eyes of the legislature, it's kind of obvious to me why they wrote this. Um, and, uh, and you know, Andrew and I have had a lot of experience with this, so we just kind of wanted to bring this uh, right, bring this right. up to your attention. Yeah, it, j- just in case that just the, you know, reading, when you come in for jury selection, one of the first things that the that the that the panel of potential jurors learns is the nature of the offense. They find out that it's a sexual assault of a child, and all the oxygen leaves the room, and every eye suddenly falls on our client. Yep. We find out then the next day in trial that there was a there's another uh, extraneous victim, and I put victim in air quotes, right? Because sure. you know. Hasn't, yeah, right. It may not have been proven yet. And again, any oxygen left suddenly gets sucked out. Everyone looks at our client. And so, so the, 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 it becomes very, very hard to get a not guilty. Um, partly because no one wants to take the chance that they're wrong. Right. And, but guys, it has happened. I mean, there was a case recently in Tarrant County with 3837 extraneous evidence. And the guy walked out of there with a not guilty. I mean, these, it does happen. This does not, because you have this evidence, you know, does not mean you shouldn't be fighting. Absolutely fight. I'm I'm likely trying one later this year. Yeah. I mean, I've Uh, got, I've got a couple of them set. I mean, it, this, we, we fight, we still wake up and fight. And that's, you know, another reason why Andrew and I love this job is it, there's still a ton to fight about, even when we lose and we get our teeth pounded in. It's we wake up the next day and we we continue to fight. Right. Yeah. So so we get ready. We fight these fights. We do the job um, uh, because we love it, because we fight for justice, just like the prosecutors do. Their job is to seek justice. Absolutely. Our job is to seek justice uh, for our clients. Um, and, and it's why we do it. But we want you to be aware of, of the pitfalls uh, in cases like this. And again, oxygen being sucked out of the room is just one piece. Oh, and man. this is a second piece yeah. uh, that we want you to be aware of. So um, what do we have coming up in the in the future? Do we know? I think we're going to have a lot of really great content. Um, again, try to avoid maybe some DWIs. I feel like we really um, you know, beat that beat that subject to death. Uh, maybe at the end of last year. Um, we have a lot of really great content. If you liked this, I know maybe at times it could have been a little bit hard or maybe you were kind of rolling your eyes at Andrew and I um, because of the content, not just because of the way our voice sounds like a normal day. If you like the really difficult um, issues when it comes to defending people accused of crime. If you have a specific subject matter that you'd like for us to talk about, go ahead and send that over to us. We'd love to hear from you. Our website is texascrimdefense.com, texascrimdefense.com. And I think uh, we're just going to leave it at that. Andrew, man, I hope you feel better. Thank you, sir. And, uh, and, and ladies and gentlemen, defenders out there, 
We will see you on the next episode of Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. Thank you.